Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 77, the Zoog's Rift album, Island of Living Puke. This is the first time we're getting Zoog's on the the show, Brent, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Craig Unkrich, aka Mr. California, is on the podcast today. Yeah, and it's a great interview as well. We're really lucky to have him. I mean, to have someone who was there with Zoogs. Very cool. Oh, not only was he there, Ryan, when I reached out to him, he said, I believe his words were, there's nobody on planet Earth who knows more about that album than I do. (laughs) And uh, he might be right. He might be right. Well, he definitely had the details, so it's very cool. Like, if anyone... It's one of those episodes where even if you're not a fan, the info is super intriguing. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any spiels, Brant? Yeah, I've got a couple. Lay it on me. Last episode, we were, I think it was the last one. Yeah, for sure would have been Paper Bag. We talked about Splat. Do you remember Splat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were wondering who Splat was. So the first thing I did was I grabbed my taste test compilation. I'm talking about, of course, Taste Test Volume 1, which was the only volume, as far as I know, that came out on New Alliance Records in 1990. It is New Alliance 45. What it is is it's live on KXLU. The program was was Brain Cookies. And when you open up the CD, the first thing you see is Splat Wingers Brain Cookies, and then the call letters, and it says... Produced by Splatwinger for Splatco Music. And then there's a logo here, a pretty cool one of like this bomb dropping, Splatco Records. It's a hit. So I didn't even realize, but I think this taste test is maybe a co-release between New Alliance and Splatco Records. So I figured, well, I'll reach out to Greg Siegel and I'll ask him who Splatwinger is. And he told me. Splat Winger, real name Brett Hallett, was the host of Brain Cookies, a three-hour show on KXLU College Radio out of Loyola Marymount College. It was on Sunday nights from 7 to 10 p.m. We were announced as the Brain Cookies house band because we appeared so often on the show over a five-year period. Splat started a record label which put out three releases, one of which was Taste Test. And so I looked it up. The other two were, uh, one's called Victor Banana, that's the name of the band, and the album's called Split. Victor Banana is not on this taste test compilation, but I read like the thank yous to all the bands that that played on the show, and and, uh, Victor Banana was one of the bands that played on the show. That's so, obviously he knew them. And the other one's called Sativa Love Box. And uh, the album... Is called the Bad Sleep, or sorry, the Bla- the Bad Sleep Well, and they have a couple albums out, and definitely some connections to Paper Bag. The cover art on that release is by MS Art Services. Uh, M Siegel plays harmonica and percussion on that Sativa Love Box album, and the vocalist was Patrick M- uh, Mata, who uh, was the singer and synth pl- player in a band called Community FK. Who I believe we maybe mentioned on our when we did our Angst self-titled, the EP that originally came out on Independent Project Records because Community FK was also on that that label. 
Is any of that ringing a bell? Sort of. I thought the original Onks record came out on Happy Squid. Oh, you know what? It did. The independent project records dude is the guy that had that typesetting machine, and he did the artwork, I believe, for that. Bingo. That's what you're getting at, man. Yeah. Uh, So those were the two releases on Splat Co. Records. Uh, And then Greg goes on here. The track Splat Mandu on Music to Trash was named after Splat Winger. So we'll have to remember that when we get to Music to Trash. Uh, The back cover photo on Music to Trash was also taken in the hallway at KXLU. Brain Cookies ran afoul of the SEC and so also the college and was taken off the air in 1989. At about this time, Splat's extremely well-hidden gender dysphoria surfaced, resulting in him eventually dropping out of sight. I don't know where he is now, but I wish him well. So there you go. You know who Splat Winger is. Right on, mystery solved. Yep. The liner notes to this taste test are, are pretty long, and it's got some interesting little little uh, tidbits in here, too. Did you know, Ryan, all the tracks on here were recorded, like, on a, it says here, on a ghetto blaster over the air, and then, like, they engineered, <laughs> Phil Newman engineered it at Spinhead? No, I didn't know that. Yep, M. Siegel helped with the mix down, it says. It's got three Firehose trivia questions. Should I quiz you? Please do. What kind of car did Ed drive out from Ohio? Don't know. Uh, Where was the first Firehose gig? Don't know. I believe... I'm going to give you the answers. They're written at the other end of the liner notes here, but I believe we talked about that gig on the Slovenly episode. Maybe. Probably. Ask me the third question. Okay. What band was George in after the Reactionaries and before the Minutemen. Oh, man. We mentioned that on, like, the very, very first Minutemen episode, but I can't remember it to save my life. Forget it. Give me the answers. Answers to Firehose Trivia. A Mercedes Benz. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Angel's Gate in San Pedro. And George's band was called Hey Taxi. Right. That I remember. There you go. The other two, I do not remember. I remember Hey Taxi, but that's a long time ago. A lot of this stuff we're going to be getting to, like Firehose, Roger Miller, Screaming Trees. There's a big thing on, well, not a big thing, but there's a little blurb on Paper Bag, including some nicknames. George the Beast, Rad Eye. Kenny the Raven, Ryman. <laughs> uh, my other, oh, Universal Congress of is also on here. D. Boone and the Stone Puppies. Anyways, here's my other my other spiel, Ryan. Do you remember the band Monitor? I remember you mentioning it, yep. So we talked to them, about them probably on one of our early Meat Puppets albums, either In a Car or Meat Puppets Self-Titled, or probably both of them, because they were linked to the Meat Puppets uh, early on. They were like an art collective first, called Wor- uh, World Imitation, and then they kind of morphed into the band Monitor. So I sought out their, like their, their soul album, their, their soul full length album. Oh, I remember what it was. There's a meat puppets track on the album. I think it's called hair or something like that, but it's a monitor album. Anyways, I, I tracked it down after that episode cause I was curious about it and really liked it. Got kind of curious about monitor, including their artwork. I saw online the other day, 
or a couple weeks ago that there's a book out about Monitor called Afraid of Modern Living, World Imitation and Monitor, 1977 to 1982, uh, written by a guy called Antonio S. Beecroft, and it came out on this, as far as I can tell, they're fairly new, publishing company out of Boston called Sounds on Paper. It's pretty cool. It's like the first half of it is the history of world imitation, like the art collective and the band Monitor. There's a thing on the meat puppets. There's stuff about human hands, bee people. They were connected to all those bands. And then the second half of it, of this book, is all the artwork that they did, the collective did. And a lot of it really reminds me of Winston Smith's artwork, who I've always really liked. Oh, collage work? Yeah. Winston Smith, of course, did a lot of the alternative tentacles stuff in the 80s. Some of it really reminds me of that. So, yeah, it's a really cool little book about uh, Monitor. And I hope you're curious about it, Ryan, because I picked one up for you. Whoa, nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, man. I am totally. I'm very curious. I'm not sure that I'll be a Monitor fan, but that book I would be very interested in. Yeah, it's a cool book. Those are my spiels. All right on. Well, mine is a bit of a downer to start, but I feel like I have to mention that Zippy Pinhead passed away. I don't know if you caught that. No, I missed that. Zippy Pinhead is kind of a legendary punk drummer on the West Coast, and not just in Canada, but also into the U.S. And uh, he kind of started one of the founders, I would say, of the Vancouver punk scene with the Montgomery brothers, like Chuck Biscuits, of course, and Dimwit. He did play uh, in DOA at one point, I believe. Or, well, or at so, least the so, Skulls. Yeah, so Zippy Pinhead played in DOA. He also played in The Stiffs with Jerry Useless from DOA. He played in Los Populeros, which was a bit of a super group with Art Bergman and others. He also played in a band that um, didn't really record anything called The Sick Ones. He played in Randy Rampage's band. He also played, though, Brandt in The Dills. And and that's, uh, it's pretty, I mean, I guess it's, The Dills are very famous, um, I suppose, in the punk circles and the Kimden Brothers. Um, but Zippy Pinhead played on the uh, the Dills double 7-inch, made in Canada. I don't know, a good drummer. It's too bad he passed away. Kind of one of the very, very early founding Canadian drummers i suppose like there it's weird in canada there were a few like a handful of punk drummers that seemed like they played in every band like yeah. john card chuck biscuits um and then zippy pinhead uh you can also see some footage like lots of interviews of zippy pinhead in a documentary about the vancouver and canadian punk scene with a lot of u.s punk people in it uh called bloodied and Embowed is a great documentary that people can look into um, just to kind of get into that scene and some of the, some of the stuff that Zippy Pinhead did. And I was also looking, um, I just was kind of getting interested in that scene again. And I don't know if you've heard of that record label, Supreme Echo Records brand. Is it a newer reissue label? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've heard of it. Yeah. Out of BC, but folks can check out, the uh, the Supreme Echo Records website for a lot of really obscure, set, uh, mostly late 70s and early 80s, and some modern 
releases, but mostly kind of Western Canadian punk stuff. But they reissued that Stiffs single right. that Zippy Pinhead was on. So, you know, got got me interested in that. It went down a bit of a rab- rabbit hole, but um, lots of great stuff there. So Zippy passed away, unfortunately. You were mentioning right before the podcast. I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but it happened today, if not yesterday. But Dick Dale passed away. Yeah. Which is a which is a huge loss. You and I are big fans. We played in a band that did like played Dick Dale songs yep. for many years. Yep. And uh, hugely influential for punk music as well. Totally. Right? Yeah, I was actually explaining that to my kids today. I was blasting. You know that. I, my go-to Dick Dale is always that greatest hits compilation with him holding a surfboard on the front. You know what you mean? Let's go tripping. Let's go tripping. Yeah, that's my go-to. I I did buy all like the Sundays reissues of his albums, but all the good songs are more or less on that compilation. And I was blasting that today, which is not something I listen to super often anymore. And I was explaining to my kids how he pretty much invented like super fast down picking you know yeah well definitely like tremolo picking you know a lot of people when they started playing really heavy stuff back in the 50s and 60s it was still pretty like like link ray right is kind of in that era and they're kind of grouped together but link wasn't really a fat he was a fast player during the solos in his early stuff, Dick Dale was playing some pretty darn fast stuff right off the hop. Yeah. And pretty hot, distorted leads, too. Yeah. Upside down, strong Stratocaster yeah. with, like, Hendrix. I think he played 11, 11s, too, his strings. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, he did. And I, I I might be mistaken on this, but I, I seem to recall something like Leo Fender created the Fender Twin Reverb for him or something crazy like that. Sounds right. Sounds right, because yeah. they were doing recording in echo chambers at first right to get reverb yeah i seem to recall that like people saw him like leo fender saw him play and he's like you know dude we can get you louder and that's where the defender twin reverb came from yeah i'm probably blending like 15 stories together but whatever yeah anyways should mention in uh put on some dick dale there's lots and lots of music that we all love that's heavily influenced by that for sure and it, and Dick Dale has got some good tunes. I had one more spiel, though, too. Yeah. Um, I know you saw this, Brant, but um, any opportunity we've got to mention Water Under the Bridge Records, I think we should do that. And there's a new uh, cassette out by Incest Cattle. And uh, this is a noteworthy release on Water Under the Bridge Records. Not only did Don Bolas from the Germs produce it, and it was uh, engineered by Paul Cutler from 45 Grave, but it had um, Johnny Napier from Ethel Meat Plow in it, but Paul Kelly on drums. But the one for me in particular is it has Doug Carrion from Dagnasty and the Descendants in it and uh, on bass. And, and you mentioned, if not the last episode, two episodes ago, about Doug Carrion's new band Field Day that's right. coming out. And so... I'm even more pumped now and pumped to get this incest cattle cassette in the mail when it shows up. Yeah. It's pretty wild stuff. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's not what you would expect, and that's perfect. Yeah. I want I want stuff that I don't expect, kind of like Zoog's Rift. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad it's only three songs, but I'm assuming that's all they, that was available. 
Yeah, I got to assume that's the case. And I think they did uh, like a super short run, like a hundred, like a hundred tapes only something crazy like that. Right. So I'll probably, I'll probably get it. I'll pop it in the cassette deck and look, listen to it a couple of times and then put it on the iPod. Yeah. But that's it for me. Right on. Should we head over to the Island of Living Puke, you asshole? Of course. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent. So this is like Zoog's riff. It's his fifth album that we're getting into. So where should we start? Because there's a fair amount of Zoog's history before this record even came around. Yeah, well, why don't we... I feel like Craig kind of does a good job of getting us up to speed on on all things Zoogs. Why don't you run down the releases, Ryan? Here's the thing for me, like this is this is my first Zoogs rift that I've ever heard. And I did not go back and normally like for example, the Leaving Trains, I went back and listened to the the pre SST stuff. This time I did not because SST is going to reissue, I think, almost all of this stuff. Well, the four records that came out before this one will definitely be reissued by SST eventually. Yep. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you tell me what those records are? All right. And I think in the last episode you mentioned because you know I'm such a big Zappa fan and I'm also a Beefheart fan that you know that I would be a big Zoog's Rift fan and I do like Zoog's Rift. This record is not my favorite Zoog's Rift record. And uh, my favorite one is actually his first one called Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, which came out in 1979. It will be reissued as SST-123. I had 1977 for that one. Oh, really? Yep. That's weird. The original release I saw was credited also to Zoog's Rift and the Micro Mastodons. (laughs) maybe that's it on snout records which apparently was his label zoogs's label yeah i don't know i don't know that's interesting i mean that's not i I mean i definitely do not have an original i just have an sst reissue and i mean the way that it's presented is that it's like it says copyright 1975 to 1983 on it so who knows? I'm kind of going off of a combo of the Wikipedia and Discogs page because I don't have an original. Okay. We'll get into it in the interview, but I mean, this album is very much presented as like a Zoog's Rift and Richard Haas record, like very much like these are the prominent players on it. Yeah. Um, even though Richard is mentioned as a special guest star on this record. This one I really like because, you know, no surprise there. It's it's a lot like, um, you know, with the percussion on it, it's very reminiscent of Beefheart and Zappa stuff. Cert, like Captain Beefheart stuff with Marimba and Vibes. Ruth When Ruth Underwood was in the Zappa band, um, the vocals are actually a little bit like, and, and on the next one, Amputees in Limbo, kind of like Wildman Fisher. Am, Amputees in Limbo, I've got it down as coming out in 1982 and then in reverse sst order that's sst 122 the next one i've got is one called ipecac which came out in 84 and that's sst 120 that one for the zappa fans really reminds me of the uh, early and mid 80s zappa stuff because it has like 
electric electronic drums kind of sounding like when Chad Wackerman was in Zappa's band and then the record that uh, came out in 85 right before this record Island of Living Puke is called Interim Resurgence and that's SST 121 so this is SST 77 and I guess I would I would encourage you after this maybe Brant and maybe when we get to the next one in order, which is Ipecac, which is his third record. Try giving Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course um, a, listen, a quick listen before. Well, Just actually, actually, Ryan, the next one we're going to get to is SST 88, which, oh. is, which is looser than Clams, which has tracks off of all of these records, I believe. Yeah, it's a compilation. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because there's like the song Looser Than Clams is on uh, on these as well. But Anyways, I mean, I like Zoog's Rift. This isn't my favorite album. I really like his first two a lot. Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, Amputees in Limbo. This record has got some good songs on it, though. I'm looking forward to hearing Looser Than Clams because the track Dinkle Dinkle Dance <laughs> is on there. And we're going we're gonna to hear um, Craig Unkrich men mention that track right away here as the song that got him into Zoog's. Yeah, what's the name of the song again? I think it's called Dinkle Dance. Say that again? Dinkle Dance? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's all. I just wanted to give kind of a quick rundown of the records that came out before, even if I probably got the, the dates wrong. But just so folks are aware that there's four Zoogs records before this one. Right. Okay, well, Craig's going to mention this right away, but he was born Robert Palakowski in New Jersey on July 10th, 1953, and he unfortunately passed away on March 22nd, 2011, at 57 years of age. He moved out to California in 1979 with some of the members of the band he had in New Jersey called Zobus. I believe they, they changed their name to the Amazing Shitheads at that time. I believe Richie Haas came out with them. This is all in the interview. I'm not sure if he mentions this in the interview, but I, Scott Colby was also in Zobus. So I'm assuming he's also a New Jersey guy that came out with Zoogs. Yeah, it's mentioned in the interview as well how we'll get to one of his releases way down the line. Yeah. Yeah, Slide of Hand, SST 151. And Scott Colby is all over the place. He plays on that crazy backwards alphabet record, SST 110. He plays on Henry Kaiser album, Alternate Versions, which is SST 237. He's on the No Age comp, on a bunch of other Zoog stuff. I'm getting ahead of myself here, though, Ryan. Why don't we get to the interview, and then we'll kind of recap it. Sounds good. We're joined today by Craig Unkrich. Craig, thanks for being on the podcast. You bet. We're talking about the Zoog's Rift album, The Island of Living Puke, today. Explain to me who Zoog's Rift was and how you came to know him. Yeah, he was born uh, Robert Palachowski, uh somewhere in New Jersey, uh, and he had his name legally changed to Zoog's Rift uh, around the time he was uh, in high school, I think. Oh. And I never heard of him. A, a, a local band um, uh, in the around 1982 was spinning some records of, of uh, stuff they liked, uh, uh, and, and they included... Um, a song called Dinkle Dance, uh, which is on the first 
New Drift album, which was later released on FST. Right. Uh, and I, I was very impressed with, with the musicianship, and, and it, was, it, was, it was bizarre. So when I ran across the album in, in the store, I bought it, and he, I, I noticed that he was doing the show at Bebop, Records, which was a, a, a sort of his favorite venue, and uh, that's in Reseda, California. And and so I, I went to go see him first chance I got, and got on his mailing list. Told him I was a musician, and eventually weaseled my way into the band, and we became friends. And I participated uh, uh, to a heavy extent in, in, in uh, the first the first three SST albums, okay. uh, and then I got involved with other stuff and was holding a sometimes um participant he moved out to uh to california from new jersey yeah he he moved uh around 79 uh he he uh uh came with his band uh zobus which um didn't really do anything out here he 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 did some reorganization he hired a lot of session musicians to do his first album the one that i referred to and he didn't get much of a reception from that and decided he couldn't afford to keep paying pros to, to play his music. So he changed the name of the band to the amazing shitheads and started doing um, shows with, with some, some local people. And he, he, Richie Haas, he brought from New Jersey and he's been a, a fairly loyal uh, um, musician on his, his, his albums uh, pretty much through his whole career. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, he he just worked with uh, local people, and he he became friends with Matt Groening, who went on to to fame and and, and celebrity, uh, and they they were real tight. Matt Matt pretty much put Zoogs on the map uh, through the uh, L.A. Reader, the publication that Matt was doing some work okay. for. He he wrote some some articles about Zoogs. He he wrote some reviews, and and we would get things like um, you know, band of the year, uh, music connection. Well, that, yeah, that's that's a whole different story with music connection. But uh, yeah, Matt Matt was a, a a big fan, a big also a big Zappa Beefheart fan, and uh, he and Zooks became pretty pretty good friends. And and uh, it was Zooks has always pointed to Matt as being the guy who who basically got the ball rolling in terms of the press. Now, what was it about the early stuff that you heard that? that you liked you mentioned the musicianship was it because it you know you could hear the zappa and beefheart influence was it the the jazzier side of things what was it that that grabbed you i think it was a combination of things there was the the, the first album i heard had a lot of uh, interesting time signatures and, and some really good uh musicians with some with with some good chops and that that impressed me also the anti-social uh, aspect of it impressed me i was never even at that point in my life familiar with zappa or beefheart although i knew that there there were some parallels uh certainly with, with well with both of them yeah the, the 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 subject matter the um and and it's just his sense of humor uh, appealed to me his sarcasm uh which is maybe why we got along so so well Right. Um, uh, personally, uh, because that's that's throughout his music. But but there's a stark difference between the first album and uh, the 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 uh, albums after he changed the name of the band, uh, because he 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 really did away with the complex music to the extent that he knew he could never get musicians to play it correctly. So he had to he he had to. Um, change how he did business with with uh um letting people hear his music so um i was 
at the time anyway, less impressed with the, the, the abrasive stuff and more impressed with the, uh, the, the musicianship. But it, uh, later on, I realized that, that he, he was going to get good musicians here and there. And, and, uh, I mean, every one of his albums has had at least one really good musician on it. So I, 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 I was content with the, with the way things were going. I was happy that, that he, he allowed me to be in his band. What were you doing musically before you hooked up with, with Zoogs? Were you in a band? Taking piano lessons, uh, I was in a Christian rock band in the late 70s before there even really was such a thing, but it was never a, I was, I mean, I was like 13 years old at the time, right. we had no aspirations towards uh, any sort of commercial success. So no, I was, um, I was just a, a guy who could play Beethoven sonatas, uh, and, and that, that's pretty much it. I didn't even own a keyboard. Now, this album, to me, sounds like more of a, a studio production would that be fair to say i think most of most of them are but the the, the one thing distinctive about uh i own the living puke was that it was the first it was, it was the album the, the the first contract that he got with sst and chuck Tukowski, as i recall was concerned um that a, that a um a four-track studio was going to be adequate uh, because his, because the, the 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 album before that Ipecac was done on a four track. Okay. Um, and so, to, in order to assure uh, SST that he this, this is going to sound right, he he um, uh, had us do it at, at Radio Tokyo, which is a a real recording studio. All of the other albums were recorded. Uh, well, I, I won't say all of them, but mo- certainly most in that in that era were all recorded at Mark Mylar's studio in, in Canoga Park, which is a room of his house. Okay. Uh, not, nothing wrong with that, but it's not a 24-track studio like we used for Puke. Right. Now, how many of these songs were, were they planned out before you went into the studio? Most of them were. Some of them, I mean, I was there every, in fact, I, I drove Zoogs to the to all the all the dates, recording dates, and, and some, of, some of the songs I'd never heard before until we got to the studio, because either I didn't play on them or, or Zoogs... It, it depends on way on one of them is a, a computer MIDI thing, um, but yeah, no, they're, they're all structured. It, there's no the only improvisation on that album that I can recall is "Rediscover Downtown Patterson," which is the opener. There's some um, sporadic improvising going on, but but Zuge's, you can't see him, but he's kind of calling the shots there. So it, it sounds more improvisational than it really is. Yeah, Zuge's pretty much uh, planned everything. There's not there's not a lot of uh, um, musicians improvising at all on that record right so he's kind of conceiving everything and and are you are you practicing some of this stuff in rehearsals yeah yeah we had rehearsals uh leading up to that album i would say we rehearsed about three nights a week uh most of them were at my house and in my garage until my until my dad got tired of all the all the empty beer bottles and so Zooks moved us to a, a, a proper recording studio. But it was about three, I'd say about three uh, rehearsals a night for uh, for a few months, about three months maybe. Okay, and with most or all of the people that ended up playing on it, or some of these people, like say Henry Kaiser, for example, was he just did he just happen to be in the, around the studio and and get asked to play on the well album. he he off as i recall he offered uh to play on the record and Ziggs was thrilled at, at, at the prospect i'd never met henry prior to meeting him at radio tokyo uh the day he came down to do his two uh, the i guess it was two songs he was on 
Um, and, and so I knew he was going to be involved, but I, we never rehearsed with Henry and we never rehearsed with, uh, let's see. No, no, Scott was, Scott was in the band. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a few of the, uh, a few of the, the, um, on the fringes, like John Truby, there was no rehearsal with, with Truby, uh, or, or, uh, some of the other spoken word type stuff, but the core band, uh, was, was, we rehearsed uh, a few times a week, um, leading up to the, the album. Who is John Truby? John Truby is a, uh, um, a, a guy like Zoogs in that he has his own band and then gets his own musicians and he's unusual. He does, he, like, he does what I would consider unusual music. He also does poetry, spoken word stuff. He's put out a couple of albums on Enigma Records uh, uh, back around the same time Ipecac came out. And uh, he's a friend of Zoogs and he has participated in his musical projects off and on and he as i recall on on, on puke all he does is the spoken word um stuff he doesn't actually play right. uh an instrument that i can remember on, on, on the record i don't have the vinyl uh, album in front of me but i believe each track has which musicians play on it and, and yeah he just does some spoken stuff right but he's the closest thing in the band to an actual artist everybody else is just people with day jobs well he's got a day job too but he actually makes music whereas the other guys in the band are, are just sort of uh, hired uh, guns. What are these uh, prank phone call albums that he's seems to be known for? Do you know what those are? Well, I, I, I'm not sure he ever made any full albums of prank calls. He had them sprinkled on, on um, various releases that oh, okay. had his own music. Uh, but but that, that's actually why I bought his album. Uh, before I even met Ziggs, I bought the John Truby album because I read it had prank phone calls and I had a lot of money at the time. Uh, so I, I took a chance and I, and I thought it was very entertaining and I, and I liked some of the music as well. And I, I was even in his band for a little while. Um, but, but, uh, he, he's, um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's about all I can say about Truby. Okay. Now you're credited with sampling. What, what are we talking when we say sampling? Did, did samplers exist at this time? I went to, purchase a keyboard of some kind. I was going to get a DX7, Yamaha DX7, which was the happening thing at the time. Yeah. Ziggs uh, uh, sort of um, pointed me in the direction of getting a sampler, uh, which was the, the Insonic Mirage, not because he wanted me to do a lot of sampling, but because it was the closest thing to getting an actual uh, acoustic piano sound. It was even better than the DX7, at least uh, to him. Uh, in terms, uh, so, so I was able to get some really good organ and piano sounds um, out of an instrument, and the fact that it was a sampler was sort of a, more of a novelty. I didn't really care. I just we just wanted uh, a, a really authentic piano and organ sound, and, and, that, and that delivered. So, so I wound up buying that. Are a lot of the songs? Do they have like tape manipulation? Was was a lot done in the mix in the studio? Sure, yeah. sure. The the the, the opening song uh does have some some um sampled sounds that were just they were just included by the salesman when i bought the thing just threw them in i don't even know where a lot of them came from so a, a lot of that that you hear that sounds like tape manipulation is just me playing different samples right. uh, that he that he, he wanted uh there's a there's a song on there that's all midi that i participated in uh that, that that has no real instruments uh it's just, it's just well it has real instruments played through a, a through a um, mark's uh, apple computer 
Um, and, Is that and Shiver Me Timbers, maybe? Shiver Me Timbers, there's nothing... Um, that's all That's all just live. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, you know, the vocals were, vocals were done at a different time, but I mean, it's just... Uh, and Henry's part was done uh, at a different time, but other than that, it's just the uh, it's basic, basic, basic uh, instrument. Okay. Now, some of the songs, like say "Secret Marines," are are sung by um, one of the the ladies who participated in the album. Oh yeah. Would would that yeah. be would Zoogs have written lyrics for that and given them to to them? Or? Well, he I believe he wrote those with her in mind to to say them. He he knew who, and I'm trying to remember her name. Um, it'll come it'll come to me in a minute. She had a really distinctive almost a valley sounding you know valley girl sounding voice uh uh and 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 so yeah i believe that the, that that whole thing was written with her in mind and there was she um i think she may have been on one other song i'm not sure but she was uh, never had anything more to do with the band she was oh, on she, she did one live show with us to that we did after the album came out and then i never saw her again okay maybe wendy singer or uh yeah 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 when yeah that's it wendy okay. wendy singer yeah no live shows. You mentioned the Bebop Cafe. Is that is that what it was called? Or Bebop, Bebop Records? Records and Fine Art. Bebop Records and Fine Art. You can you can. There's even a Facebook page. It's uh, it, it it ceased to exist about 20 years ago. But it was uh, uh, it, it was about the it, it was the one venue that he always knew Zooks was going to play uh, a show there, and and we did a we did one that had the uh, the entire. All the musicians on Island of Living Puke uh, played that show, and then we did one other show that had the same lineup. And that's that was really it. There was there was just two two shows with the full Ipecac band lineup, including Scott Colby, and um, then uh, the band morphed into something else for the next record. Okay, who would you have been playing with? Like, do you, do you, well, do you recall um, any of the bands that you that you played with? Oh, 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 uh, let's see, the, the Bebop, um, the, there may have been an opening act that I don't remember, uh, the, the other one was Raji's, and the opening act was probably Saccharin Trust, I'm not, I'm not positive. Okay. I think it was Saccharin Trust. D did Zugsin tour at all? He did, he did, he did a U.S. tour, uh, actually, and, yeah, I, I was kind of, yeah, I'll have to backtrack a little bit, because, he did tour. That tour was to support the album, um, the, the Shitheads Across America tour. Um, I couldn't be in it because my job was too demanding, and so I had to, to, to not be involved. And so Zooks took a different lineup on the road, uh, and they did a. So I think I don't know how many, maybe ten or fifteen shows, uh, of going all the way to, to to back east, but it was. It was uh, problematic. There were a lot of canceled dates, and he wound up having to sell the car in Texas and taking a train home. Oh, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> do you know how he came to be on SST's radar? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, there was a guy who was interested in his band who played um, uh, keyboards, among other things. He also played violin on a Swa album. I'm told uh, his name was uh, Alan. Um, Eugster or Alan Carl Eugster, he's an actor. Oh, okay. Uh, also, and he knew Chuck Dukowski, and I had always told Ziggs when he was shopping for for record labels, I said, you, you know, SST might be a good fit for you, but I didn't know anybody there. But 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 Alan knew Chuck, and he arranged for a meeting 
And at that meeting, Chuck wrote the check for $2,000 to, um, I, I don't know whether that was the whole thing or just a deposit to, to go make uh, the living puke. Oh, okay. So um, they, they they must have got along fairly well uh, from 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 that, that start, but that's how that happened. It was it was all uh, Alan Eugster, um, uh was the one who arranged for the meet. Okay, and he plays on this album. He plays, uh, yeah, he plays, uh, so, um, yeah, he uh, a, a horrendous number of analog synthesizers, <laughs> way more than he needed for for what he did. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, I think it was uh, the Mofos or After Me and maybe one other one. Uh, you know, just minor, kind of minor stuff, but he's definitely on the record. Okay, and you said he, he played on a Swa record. I'm going to test you on some of the, the people who played on this. Do you Anything else you can think about Alan? You said he he did some acting? He did some acting. I, I mean, I, I remember he was... Uh, he, he did a bit part on an episode of Night Court. I think that's mostly what he did was uh, just um, uh, little, very small roles. Uh, and and he, I, I just remember hearing that he played violin on a Swa record, and, and I, I could confirm that, but I, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I mean, we. I like Swa. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I I mean I'm 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 a fan of Swa, but but I only got it only when they started playing shows with us, and I got into that. I never I never explored their past stuff before Sylvia. I I uh, was kind of uh, I, I I I liked them from that point forward. So I don't I don't know. I mean I'm just that's I, you have to take that on faith on on uh, for what it's worth that Alan played on Swa. Right? No, I I, I think know. that's right. Yeah, Scott oh, okay. Scott Colby, you've mentioned he also has a, an album solo album on SST a bit later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, um, I, I suppose, that Zoogs just introduced, uh, Scott had a demo, of, I mean, and, and this is conjecture, I don't know for sure, yep. but I would imagine Scott had a demo that, that Zoogs submitted to Chuck, and Chuck liked it. But beyond that, I don't know much about it, except that he's, a, he's I mean, an exceptional guitar player, and I was, I was always really happy the few the, the few times that I got to play with him I think it was just twice but this this record certainly he's he's a he's a big part of this record yeah uh, we've got some tenor sax from Mar Myler yeah Mark Mark Myler is is he's the uh, the guy who engineered all the other well I won't say all of them but all the, except for puke he, he was the the, the, the the guy who had the recording studio and who who was the engineer Oh, okay. um, and he played sax on stage also uh, with us uh, for for uh, up until the time they had a falling. Zoogs had a falling out with just about everybody at some point. But um, yeah, Mark was a, a live performer as well as participated in, in, in on the studio records to whatever extent. Okay, Zoogs wanted him to, but he was a regular. Okay, uh, Aaron T. Bar Rift is that Zoogs' son? That's his son, who, yeah. who at the time was um, a, a, about five or six years old, and uh, I'm trying to, yeah, he, he seemed to always have his son in some minor role on the record. And I, 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 for the life of me, I can't think what he did. Do you know what song he was on? No, I don't have. No, no I, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was something that was taped. I mean, it wasn't like we took. He was actually in the recording studio, but only so Zooks could babysit not right. not so he could play it was whatever whatever Aaron did it was on tape right. uh, and it was just introduced into the record okay is it 
Jean Lynn Jean Lynn, Lynn Huffman yeah. uh, was a, a um, uh, at, at a time was John Truby's girlfriend, which mm. was kind of why he had that nightclub sequence the way that he had it because they were at one time a couple, and uh, that see. was the, the sort of the, the, the atmosphere there was that they they were a, uh, a couple going to see Zoogs and. Um, you can hear the rest to yourself, but that's, I think that's all she did on the record. Okay. Is that backing track actually a live recording of Zoogs? No, it's just, uh, it's just a recording of the band at the anti-club, uh, that is used as a backdrop for the, the spoken word stuff. Right. But no, it's, uh, no, no, I no, knew that I knew the spoken word stuff was in the studio, but I was, uh, yeah, well, yeah. The, yeah, no, the Zig stuff is live, but it's yeah. from a, from a, sh- uh, yeah, an anti-club show with, okay. a, with, an, with a different, you know, different lineup even. Right. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Mako Sharkey. Mako Sharkey. Currently the pro tem mayor of Port Wainimi, California. He was a regular, uh, with Zoogs and did almost all of the keyboard work until I came along. And uh, then we shared keyboard responsibilities, kind of. Uh, although I, I, I was a little bit more involved in, than him, but but he was he's he's been a uh, uh, pretty faithful um, musician with Zoogs for for about a, about ten years. Okay, Eddie Celtic Runes O'Brien on bass. Ed O'Brien, uh, yeah, he um, didn't really know how to play bass, and Zoogs knew that, and and. Um, I like Ed for the life of me. I, I, I can't explain why Ziggs <laughs> had him in the band. I, I, I hope he doesn't kill me for saying that because he's a nice guy. And, and he did. We basically taught him how to play bass and he did, he did a, a, a he did an adequate job. Uh, and he played on a, on a, a couple of, I think just two records, the puke and, and water. I think were the only two. Okay. Uh, Willie Lopin. Willie Lopin. Uh, he, was friends with Scott Colby. That's how he got introduced to the band. Uh, and uh, he played bass. Uh, he and Ed both played bass on on uh, the record. Uh, Willie was, uh, uh, I mean, uh, he's professional. I mean, he, he was never a professional musician, to my knowledge, but certainly he could have been. And... Um, I uh, went on to play with Zoogs on, on, on other, for other um, SST albums as well, and even beyond SST. Uh, but that was his first record with Zoogs. Was, uh, okay. Puke. Uh, Richie Haas, I think we touched on him briefly. I believe he played with Saccharin Trust as well. Yes, uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, and he came out to California with Zoogs and was uh, himself trying to uh, get his own band going, and so Zoogs gave him uh, sort of tried to share the the uh, the, the spotlight with him because I, I know he Rich wanted more than Zoogs was willing to give up, but uh, Rich eventually settled to be uh, a musician and played mostly drums. Uh, and so yeah, on puke that's all he played. I, I think was drums, uh, but but he's been with Zoogs for years and played whatever instrument that Zoogs needed him to fill in on, Richie could play. Okay. Uh, and, and, and did. Yeah. What was his goal as a, as a musician himself to, to be a drummer or was there 
No, a band leader. He okay. he had a band called Richie Hess and the Beatniks who played around uh, L.A. And uh, he was uh, just a vocalist and band leader in that band. He didn't um, play an instrument at all that I know of. I've seen him. I saw him a few times. Okay. And uh, I think he even tried to 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 um, get his stuff, get Chuck to hear his stuff, but nothing. Uh, he never got, to my knowledge, he never got an actual record deal from anybody. Okay. Like a, a jazz guy? He, um, well, he, 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 he certainly had the chops. Uh, yeah. and he, I, I listened to some, some tapes that he, he were, were, uh, in Zobus, the, the first band that Duke's had back in New Jersey and, and, and Richie plays some amazing marimba, and and uh, later he, he wanted to play bass in in, in, in the shitheads, and uh, he's he's a really uh, really like like all of us I guess were you know adequate, but Rich, Richie was was slightly above that. He was he was he was a really really competent uh, musician. Henry Kaiser, we've we touched on him as well. Henry Kaiser, uh, yeah, he um, I guess just. Uh, I, I think he was friends with Scott Colby as well and, and sort of an admirer of Zoogs and offered to play on the record, which Zoogs uh, immediately uh, uh, you know, approved of. And I remember Henry coming down to Radio Tokyo and bringing in about what was probably about a quarter million dollars worth of <laughs> rack-mounted audio equipment <laughs> uh, j- just to do those, uh, those two songs. And, wow. and uh, I remember that well, yeah. And on percussion, is it Teach, Tom Tom Ferranti? Yeah, Tom Ferranti played drums on um, the album Before Puke, which was later re-released on SST. Uh, and then he was sort of marginalized on Island of Living Puke. And I don't think, I don't think he actually played any drums. He's got, his, 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 um, his moniker has Tom Tom in it. But he doesn't. He, uh, I think, he just did the spoken word uh, awards presentation thing. You know, I don't think he actually played any instruments on on the album. Okay. And recorded by Ethan James. Any recollection about the studio? Like how long you were you were in the studio for? Was yeah, it one? Was I, it one I, session? I, it was. It was. Oh no no! It, it was it was uh, probably five or six. Okay. Uh, and and they were like. A, Probably you know the good the good part of the day probably five hours uh, at, at a time and and uh, is in Venice, um, California and I remember going getting it going out to get a, getting us uh, fried uh, um, uh, uh, you know, some sort of some sort of curry dish and and Ethan James going on and on about the original. Uh, the original formula for Coke, how it's how it how it changed with when they came out with the new Coke, and on and on about that, and, and I remember, and that's that's what I remember about Ethan. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he uh, he engineered the thing. Okay. And what what's can you tell me about Zoogs's wrestling career? Did that come later, or was he was he doing that concurrently well, with with this? He uh, always aspired to get into that business. Uh, he didn't have the physique for it uh, ever, really. So to be a wrestler, and he was getting up there in, in years, and he, uh, I don't think he was involved in professional wrestling at all until around 1991, maybe. I, I think he, 
he uh, got hooked up with uh, a guy who had the uh, who was in charge of the, the 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 main competition to what was the World Wrestling Federation, the the WWF. He had the Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF. Okay. And he, he uh, uh, when Zooks met him, I, I just seem to remember the conversation, something like, uh, what can you do for me? And he says, well, I can make you a lot money, more money than you're making now, <laughs> which uh, apparently he did. And uh, the problem with the arrangement was, and, and Zooks, there's, and I don't know if you've seen it, but there is video of him as uh, a manager. He was managing... Oh. Uh, some guy called, uh, by the way, I'm not a wrestling fan, so if I'm <laughs> fuzzy on these particulars, forgive me, because it's, it's not my thing. But he was the he was uh, manager to um, a guy called the Warlord, and okay. uh, there, there, there's stuff on, on, on tape of, of him being a manager. But uh, the whole thing fizzled out because uh, Herb had a, a, a really bad um, cocaine problem and uh, eventually had a heart attack and died in the back of a police car. Oh, boy. This is the... ended tragically. Yeah. What else do people need to know about Zoog's riff? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, he <laughs> he uh, he started out as a, a devout uh, fan of, of, of uh, philosopher Ayn Rand. He turned me on to her and, and he always even up till his death had had respect for her but he he sort of changed his position on her philosophy but he was he was he was heavily into that he was heavily into dada uh and and other surrealist type of uh, art and uh, was a was a huge uh fan of zappa and and, and uh, even more so of, of captain beefheart and sort of resented the uh comparisons even though I mean, you know, he has an album called, uh, do you know anything about Zappa? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he has an album called uh, Amputees in Limbo Phase 3. I mean, come on. <laughs> you're going to get Zappa comparisons yeah. or something like that. And, and uh, so, so uh, yeah, in fact, one of, one of the taglines that he used on several of his flyers, I can't remember who said it, but uh, that was that he's a lot like Zappa, only fatter. <laughs> and uh, I, around the time that I met, uh, became friends with him, he went on a radical diet, it's basically the Atkins diet, lost over 100 pounds, oh. and then gained it all back again. Yeah. And uh, he, he fought with his, his weight problems uh, to, up until point that he died um he he got he, he got mad at sst because he wasn't getting his his uh the royalties that were due which i think is probably true of every artist uh i you know i i dare say that that could be true um and but he 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 took it very very much to heart and and broke off with them after uh to, after torment okay I'm not sure what else I can tell you. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. Uh, his kid turned out great. His wife uh, was was with him. Well, they 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 divorced, but she was actually with him uh, later in life, uh, toward, right up to the end. Okay. Big part of his life. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, I, I'm glad to help. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, it's it's perfect. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. California. Yeah, it was really great to talk to Craig Unkrich. And thanks, Craig, for doing the interview. Always great to talk to to people that were there. Brent, you always pull out some good tidbits from the interview. What were your highlights? 
Well, he mentioned Matt Groening, who I believe we've talked about before on the podcast. Yeah, he's involved in Crazy Backwards Alphabet as well, eventually. Okay. Didn't know that. I I liked when he talked about the Shitheads Across America tour. That was... (laughs) (laughs) The disaster. The Alan Ugster thing was cool. I I was trying to remember if we did talk about him on the Swa Your Future If You Have One, but he does play on that album on the song Myth. Okay. I really liked uh, the quote. Zoogs is a lot like Zappa, only fatter. (laughs) It's weird. I mean, like, Zoogs and Zappa get lumped together, but Zoogs is, for my money, way more like Beefheart. And I don't know. The one thing about Zoogs for me when, when he's compared with Zappa is Zappa definitely had some out there stuff, a lot of tape splicing, a lot of noise. Um, but I don't like all Zappa. And, um, and you know, I mentioned I like the Zoog stuff, uh, the early stuff better. Um, the thing about Zappa, too, relative to Zoogs, when you listen, especially this record in particular, you know, Zappa stuff is much more melodic and tuneful, generally, yeah. than Zoog's wrist stuff. Uh, Zoogs, I think, really gets lumped in with them because of the percussion. I think it's the Richie Haas um, element, and I think it's his vocals. They're they're a little Beefheart-esque, and I mentioned Wildman Fisher. I think it's a lot like that too, but he's not Beefheart-esque in the same way that Beefheart was like Howlin' Wolf. No. It's, it's, it's Zoog's own sound, right? But the Richie Haas element is really what what tips it off for me. Well, I think the Zappa comparisons, which he apparently hated, I believe Craig mentions in the interview, I think come from the lyrics, which are often, you know, potty humor, for lack of a better term, which which Zappa used a lot. And there's a lot of, there's a jazz element to the playing, which Zappa used a lot. And, you know, things like vibes and stuff like that are heavily associated with Zappa as well. So, Yeah, I would say that Zoog's, are um, like when you talk about potty humor, I would say Zoog's lyrics and uh, a lot of the vocal parts, like on this record, are a lot more abrasive and crass, whereas Zappa's were just dirtier, like way dirtier. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, they, they were for sure. Yeah. A few things about Zobus I found. Here's from, uh, in 1975, this is when they were still in New Jersey, they had they had a pamphlet. You can find some of this stuff on, there's a Zoog's Rift Facebook page, which seems to be admined by his son, Aaron, and his wife, Laura, who put me in touch with Craig, by the way. Thanks, Laura, for that. And they have a pamphlet up there uh, credited to highly irregular productions. As I said, there's a New, New Jersey address on it. It's from 1975, and it lists the band members. It's got Zoog's. P.S. My favorite probably part of the interview is finding out that he legally changed his name to Zoog's Rift, which is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Rich Haas, as he's called on the pamphlet, is credited to, credited to among other things, rock and roll horniness. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than rock and roll hoochie coo. Yep. Scott D. of Colby is listed as a band member. Tamas Nagy... Uh, some other people that that uh, are not 
I'll just say their names, AT8 and Pat Lindenmeyer. And then it says, other Zobus pamphlets you probably won't enjoy either. I'm an idiot, please help me. Selected lyrics. More selected lyrics. <laughs> Would you buy a used car from this band? And others you couldn't get even if you wanted them. And I found a cool blog called musicformaniacs.blogspot.com and he's got a bunch of Zoog's bootlegs up there, including some demos that go back to 73 of Zobus. And he describes them as pre-punk, obviously, in 73. He says, like, there's a garage rock sound to them, a bit of a sun-raw, freeform freak-out, a bunch of what he calls Moog mania. Here's what he says about this one on this uh, Music for Maniacs blog about the Island of Living Puke. One of Zoogs's most confrontational releases, and not necessarily one I'd recommend to those of you new to Rift's weird world. It features more non-musical tracks, almost like skits, than usual, and some of Rift's most pained, ranting vocals. Do you want to move on, Ryan, and talk about the tunes? Yeah, let's get into the record. I'm interested to see what you think. History Lesson, Part 2. Before we dig into it, I want to ask you a question that came to my mind listening to this record. And like I said, it's not my favorite Zoogs record. I, I rarely, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure I've even listened to this record that much in the past. I really kind of stick with the first two records. But we listened to like the last three records on the podcast, Alternatives, Paper Bag, Zoogs Rift, all new for us. Also, I would, I got to say, challenging listens all yeah. three yeah and i'm curious what would of those three what would be like your favorite which would be if you were going to go back to one immediately which one would be the one you would go back to this one no way way really i would go back to paper bag and i can't believe that i would say like that surprises me i would have yeah. thought i would go back to alternatives or something but um, it wouldn't be this one. And yeah, what, so I, what? I listened to this about ten times this week, and yeah. at first I didn't like it, and then by the end of it, I it just clicked for me, and I really liked it. Not all of it, but the stuff that I like, I really liked. No way. Yep. Wow. Well, I'm I'm surprised by that actually, but I can see why, because it's not my favorite, but I definitely gained an appreciation for it. I don't know what it is, but these last three have been just so out there for us. And I mean, I, look, I don't want to get into this numbering thing, but just for reference point, if Slovenly, for example, and Angst are a seven, you know, this is still a six for me. Like, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not going to be a favorite release for me, but I have I have an appreciation for Zoog's Rift, and. I'm definitely looking forward to more Zoogs, uh, which is good because there's lots more to come. I counted. <laughs> oh, yeah. They re was... they released, SST released eight Zoogs Rift albums in 1987 alone. Four of them famously came out in a row. Yeah. So, well, th those are the ones that uh, we were mentioning before at yeah. the outset. And I mean, I'm interested to hear, like, when you get into the early ones too, like, even um, 
even interim resurgence has got some killer stuff on it like spit in the fog is an amazing song so i'm interested uh, i'll i'll be curious because this is like one of those ones where i was kind of like this might be a ryan band and not a brant band well i like zappa too man i'm not a huge beef heart guy i hate to keep going back to the zappa thing but i i do hear the i i do hear the comparison for sure and why don't we go through the tracks and we'll maybe that'll shed some light on what I like or don't like about it. Okay, let's walk me through it. Okay. Can I give you a few more quick reviews that I found, Ryan, before we get into the tracks? Yeah. You might have saw this one. I think I got this off Wikipedia. Keyboard Magazine apparently did an experimental issue at one point, and they said about this album, moments of outstanding freeform rock sandwiched between scrupulously obscene interruptions, which I think is pretty pretty accurate. It is. Here's a few more reviews that I found. This is from the LA Free Press, October 6, 1986. The most sonically outrageous album since we're only in it for the money. What do you think of that? That's fair. Here's a few more. Uh, this is a good one from Danny Wiseman, a.k.a. Shredder, who has a an amazing spoken word album on New Alliance Records called The Wet Dog Shakes. This is from the LA Weekly. A magnanimous bunch capable of simultaneous flashy fusion and the worst record scratching ever (laughs) it's like frank zappa with a concussion the last great rock opera this record yep it's a con it's a concept album hey yeah but i wouldn't say it's the last great rock opera well this came out in like this review came out in the 80s right so yeah okay fine 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 he gave it a four and a half out of five huh Here's Joseph Woodward from the L.A. Reader in 1986. Rift is a rotound, paranoid pervert who makes some rightly powerful musical street operas. Call it sleazoid punk vaudeville. There is an article from BAM magazine where Zoogs, there's a quote from Zoogs in it where he says, it's a concept record, a 45-minute excursion into the sick, demented brain of Zoogs Rift. And this one, Ryan, the last one, might sum up kind of this is from Mr. Fab, who uh, is from the that blog that I mentioned, Music for Maniacs. Yep. It can all be a bit startling at first, but repeat listens reveal the humor and musical brilliance. That sounds like you. Yeah. So let's get into it. Rediscovered Downtown Patterson is the first track. This is the one that, of course, starts with, oh, fuck, not another, not another goddamn Zoogs Rift album. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this song is where somebody keeps yelling, Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I kept thinking of uh, the show Trailer Park Boys. There's a character whose name is like Donnie or something like that. He's always off screen yelling that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 when I was looking through the credits in the back, I'm like, there's only one female as far as I can tell there. And so I just assumed that that's Wendy Singer. Maybe this is the one with the, I think, the built-in sampler effects in the background that Craig mentions in the interview. Like, they, the, the sampler came with a bunch of stuff built into it that they used. Here's what Mr. Fab said from that, um, that blog. The opening track sports The Amazing Shithead's new toy, a sampler, but rather than looping James Brown breakbeats, we've got various voices screaming obscenities, in particular, a woman shouting out, It's the island of living puke, you asshole over noise slash free music. 
It's almost as if Rift is daring the audience to continue listening. Don't wuss out. <laughs> uh, the next track is the title track, The Island of Living Puke. I just wrote, this is a paranoid rant, but I like the lyrics. What strange land is this? Could this be the world of tomorrow? You're making me brain damaged. And to me, this is like, this song is Zoog's waking up on the island of living, living puke. Okay. That's what I hear. Here's what Mr. Fab said. A small bit of haunted house keyboard driven punkishness. Track three, a very pretty song for a very special young lady. <laughs> Here, Here's the track where you can hear the musicianship come in. Yep. Uh, I hear Ween, and this is the Valley Girl singer, Valley Girl Wendy Singer that we talk about in the interview, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's got a really gnarly solo from, from Zoogs in it. I hear Frank Zappa. I'm a big fan of Frank Zappa's guitar playing myself, like his soloing. And I can hear Frank Zappa in this guitar solo. Like his, he definitely has his own style, Frank did. And I, I can hear it in Zoogs' playing. And then I just wrote Rocket Queen. Do you know what that's a reference to, Ryan? Rocket Queen. I don't. Okay, so there's like some moaning in this song, right? Oh, yeah. The famous story behind Guns N' Roses' Rocket Queen, which also has some moaning in it, which is, it's the last track on Appetite for Destruction, is that Axel did the deed on the studio floor and that it, the, the moaning is real. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Here's what Mr. Fab says about this one. Almost lives up to its title until the douchebag from the Ipecac song Sit Down and Shut Up returns. That's the guy that's saying, like, I'm the hottest thing on wheels, and has a really annoying laugh. So I have a question for you. When we're talking about this record as a concept album, did you read the story on the back of the record? No, because I don't have the record. Oh, because, like, on the back, there's a bit of a blurb about the concept, and it name checks all the songs as it goes. I'll have to read it when we're done. Okay. Well, we'll see we'll see if we'll see if my wanna, my stuff lines up with the actual concept. Yeah, that's the thing. I want to see how close you get. Okay. The Mofos are after me track 4. This is one that's got the rim shots. The backing track is a little ambient. It's, there's some vibes in there. You can really hear the studio in in this one. And I don't know what a a, a busy Remhod unit is or whatever they are, but they're after Zoogs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not good Mr. Fab would almost be laid back jazz rock were it not for the anguished paranoid vocals then we get to torture sequence which is I just wrote a one minute sound collage and these are all the things that uh, are bumming Zoogs out like it's just people going go on a diet boy are you fat <laughs> and then there's like a uh, like a robocall thing. If you have already mailed your payment, please ignore this message. <laughs> and, a, and a guy phoning, yeah, I can't make it to rehearsal. My car ran over a pitchfork. And, <laughs> and, then, and then you can hear Zoogs is like having like a panic attack over top of it all. Yeah. Mr. Fab just says, this is a litany of voices complaining about Zoogs. Track six, you're killing me. This is This was a highlight for me. I really liked it. Yeah, uh, definitely a drum machine. The verses are kind of wrapped. Mr. Fab says, 
a great bit of new wave from hell featuring some zany synths and drum machines another new toy then we flip it over and we get to the secret marines and then in brackets 4f 50666711 it is enough 9 lives 104 blowout <laughs> it's quite the song name yeah eight is enough is like a wasn't that a a sitcom in the 80s at some point yeah, yeah. it was like uh, one of those horrendous laugh track type shows yeah here's what i wrote lyrics definitely influenced by zappa this one was not one of my faves just got a bunch of zany sounds it sounds like there's two basses playing some horns i i did find a compilation a cassette only only comp from 1982 it's called the other number one and it it features zoog's rift and the amazing shitheads and a song called my daddy works for the secret marines i don't know if it's like the same track or if this is a continuation of that one or if zoogs was just in into the concept of secret marines but yeah i don't know there's definitely an element of like paranoia all over this record for sure mr fab says dada spoken word plus zappa-esque horn rock dadaism is something you hear a lot uh in relation to zoogs as well yep and even uh mr california referenced that as well yeah and there are a lot of bands that were very influenced by that, like Devo, for example. For sure, yep. Uh, track two, nightclub sequence. This is the one. This is the one where Butthead. It sounds like Butthead. Is going. <laughs> <laughs> he's going. He's going. I could be home dubbing tapes. Yeah. <laughs> they're at, they're at a Zoog's Rift gig, and uh, John True. They run into John Truby, and. This is the same annoying dude from the A Very Pretty Song track. And I'd be willing to bet John Truby like had this conversation lots of times in a bar. And Probably. I like... He's the, he's the prank phone call guy, right? Right, yeah. Have you listened to any of his stuff? No, man. It's pretty interesting from what I was able to find anyways. I don't have any of it, but John Truby and the Ugly Janitors of America... What I liked in this one is the the annoying guy says in it, Zoogs is going to become a wrestler, which we briefly mentioned in the interview. Yeah. And this is, again, on Wikipedia. It says, Zoogs' wrestling career was cut short after being torture-racked by Lex Luger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like the backing track. I'm having a heart attack. So there's a series of compilations called Obscure Independent Classics. And this track I'm uh, called Heart Attack that he's playing live, I'm assuming this is the studio version of it, is on this 1985 comp, Obscure Independent Classics Volume 1. There's five volumes of it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, John Truby and the Ugly Janitors are, are on some of them, though. Or, sorry, Ugly Janitors of America R. Stevie Moore's on them, Controlled Bleeding, Richie Haas and the Beatniks. Track three, Shiver Me Timbers. So this one has Henry Kaiser on it, as did Torture Sequence as well. I forgot to mention that. This one gets me pumped to get to some Henry Kaiser stuff down the line. Because, again, another one of my favorite parts of the interview is when Craig says like that Henry Kaiser brought in like a shit 
load of rack mounted gear to record these three like tracks. Like a half a million, half a million or something. <laughs> yep. At it, like the guitar playing's insane. It sounds almost like an eight bit Nintendo game at times. Oh yeah. And it's just there's more insane raving from Zoogs at the end of it. This this one was another highlight for me. I really like this track. Shiver Me Timbers? Yeah. Mr. Fab says, an album highlight, the band gets down to utter, utterly whacked out, mostly instrumental business. Track four, Escape from the Island of Living Puke. This is a very cool instrumental. I can, when I hear it, I can picture like a Scooby-Doo type cartoon with the dudes on the back cover, like dressed like they are on the back cover of this record, but cartoons running away from some mofos that are after them. <laughs> <laughs> They're like trying to get a boat, get to a boat to, so they can get off the island of living puke. That's what I hear when I, when I hear this track. And it's got Henry Kaiser again. Mr. Fab says this is spaz rock at its finest. Track five is The Breather, another highlight for me. Really cool lyrics. It's a bit of an earworm. Like I was walking around my house humming this song after listening to it, and it really reminded me of a band you and I really like, Ryan, called the Showbiz Giants. Indeed it does. Did you get that too? You know, it's weird. There's a ton that I hear on this record, and it's it's hard to kind of, like, pick out what, you know, I was listening to it again today, and I was like, who sings like that? Who sings like that, you know? And I don't know what it is. I don't know if Zoogs was influenced by people or he influenced people, but I can totally, now that you mention it, I can hear Showbiz Giants, uh, which is kind of a no means no side project, I guess is a fair, a fair way to put it. But I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And for me too, the breather is a huge standout on this record. Yeah. You can hear Ween doing something like that for sure too. Oh yeah. 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 Are you a Ween fan? Like, do you have their records? Uh, I've got kind of the main ones, you know, but none of the, yeah, just the main stuff. Okay. I wouldn't call myself a, a huge fan, but I, I appreciate what they do. I liked them, you know, when I was younger. I appreciate their humor. And I, and I for a time, and still am, a, show, uh, a fan of They Might Be Giants, which some of this stuff could also be, they could have easily done. But their, mm-hmm. their humor's a little more highbrow, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that one's catching me a little off guard. I mean, I could see there are some sounds on this that maybe are a bit they might be giants esque, but I see them as very probably the furthest apart reference that yeah. I've heard. Here's what Mr. Fab says about the breather. Hey, what do you know? A downright catchy, hummable melody with phys- philosophical lyrics and a synth solo that sounds like doorbells ringing. And the album ends with a song called "I'm Happy." It's just a little ditty. I kind of thought the breather should have ended the album and they should have left yeah. I'm happy off. Agreed. A few thing about things about some of the players on this. Richie Haas, he played on Saccharin Trust's The Great One Is Dead. Or I sorry, I shouldn't I don't think he played on the album. He played in the band during that era, Vibraphones, I believe. He he also passed away March twentieth, two thousand eight. Scott Colby we talked about. Henry Kaiser we t- talked about. I don't know a bunch about the other other players on this but i guess craig kind of gave us the lowdown do you want to talk about the artwork yeah i do want to mention though the one name on this record that's awesome the clavinet and string ensemble player jonathan mako sharkey yeah 
I really like that name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, also, uh, the bass player, Eddie Celtic Runes O'Brien. Yeah, man. Those are good names. Do you want, before we do the artwork, do you want me to give you the spiel on the back of the record yeah, or lay, at the end? Yeah, no, lay it on me. Um, it's a bit long, but here's the concept. It says, Zug's Rift is strolling down the pier, whistling and minding his own business when a safe falls from a 13-story building landing on top of his shaved head. When he awakens, he finds himself on the shattered remains of a life raft floating aimlessly ashore of a mysterious, mysterious island. The air smells. He is cold, wet, and, of course, hungry. Just barely conscious, he looks up from the seaweed and sand to see the blurry figures of the bizarre inhabitants of the island. As his eyes focus, he begins to recoil in horror as he realizes what these, what these creatures, the citizens of the neighborhood, are all about. For them, every day is Halloween, and in their retarded outfits, they all swarm around him and bombard him with junk mail, spiritual lectures, advice, fantastic offers on food and dry goods. Are those the mofos? Hold on. And (laughs) And promises of great times ahead, while all the time running their hands through his pockets. All of this soon becomes too much for poor, tired old Zoogs, who they call Bob. It's weird being a Bob. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It doesn't. But he'll get used to it. He'll have to. He sure um, will. And he quickly takes off into the thick brush and attempts to hide until he can recoup his thoughts and make him some strategic battle plan. The citizens, a.k.a. the mofos, resent this rude antisocial behavior and they chase after him, screeching and dangling carrots. Rift runs and runs and even tries to distract them, but it is no use. Lost in the darkness, he encounters a local girl and falls in love. It is then that the citizens are able to overpower him and take him back to City Hall, where they tie him down and give him every conceivable reason imaginable as to why he is not his own man and why he should stop fighting them and join in the big party. Rift, still resisting but weakened, lapses into a deep coma and dreams of having his own groovy rock band. He hallucinates wildly, but soon the feverish nightmare subsides. He awakens with newborn strength and prepares for battle. The time is now right, and the battlefield has now been chosen for the conquest of the Island of Living Puke. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so I, where, where, when do the BZ Red Hot units come in? <laughs> it might be when all the spiritual lectures and fantastic <laughs> offers on on food and dry goods come in. Could I don't be. know. Could be. I don't know. All right. You want to do the artwork now? Yes, I do. So look at that front cover. I don't want to, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> can we just look yeah. at the back instead? Okay, the back is like their their outfits are. Oh yeah, so, solid. Zoogs's shirt, man. I had that the red and white one. Like I actually yeah. had that shirt. I'm not making that up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also wear your watch over your left uh, your left uh, jacket sleeve? I did not. Did you also have fingerless gloves? Probably. Yeah, but they might have did. they might have said crew on them, like as in okay. Motley Crew. Oh my god! 
Um, look, check out the ties, though, hey? Yeah. So I know who three of these, two besides Zoogs, I know who two of them are for sure. Yeah, I know who Richie is. He's right beside Zoogs, right? With the goatee? Yeah. yeah. And the guy you like, Sharky? Yeah. He's the guy with the gnarly stash. Because he still has it. Jonathan Mako Sharky yeah. is the guy in the fedora? Yeah, he still has that stash, too. Dude. Yeah. That's nice. I want to say the guy right behind Zoogs is uh, Jonathan Truby. I don't know why, but I think he is. Okay. Just because he looks cool. And I think Jonathan Truby's probably cool. <laughs> uh, I got to say, like, this has all got to be thrift store stuff, though, right? All the jackets and whatnot and the ties. Ginwear, maybe? Maybe. Might be from Mr. Gin. Yep. You never know. Looking sharp, it's though. A, yeah, I mean, the front cover definitely sets it off. And then when you go to the back cover, you're just like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty far out. No doubt. Uh, what else should we There's mention? some artwork on the insert, I think. Not in my version. I didn't get an insert on mine. Oh. Yeah, if you go online, you on Discogs, you can see it. It's pretty. Oh. It's pretty good stuff. I don't what know. What is who, it? I don't know who did it. It's like drawings, pretty gnarly drawings. I can say it. Pretty insane stuff. Let's see here. Maybe it's in the credits. Uh, insert illustrations, John Truby. There you go. Yeah. So mine, obviously, someone kept the probably pinned it on their wall or something. Yeah, maybe. Mine's a pretty beat up copy. It says. Um, all material written and arranged by Zoog's Rift. Copyright 1986, Miss Anne Throp Music, LTD. Recorded April 86 at Radio Tokyo. 24 tracks. By, 24. Uh, engineered by Ethan James. Cover art, layout, design, etc. by Z ZR or ZR, Zoog's Rift. Front and back photos taken by Jeff Carlson. Personal management by Thalidomide Productions. I'm not sure you could call a production company that anymore. Probably not. Probably not. Booking, global booking there. Uh, it says a special thanks to Chuck, Greg, Steve, and the whole bizarre bunch down at SST Global. Steve's mugger. Yeah. Uh, produced by Zoog's Rift. That's the sleeve. Any dead wax, Ryan? Please, Indeed, let, please let there be dead wax. <laughs> yeah. There is. There I bet is. it's. I bet it's good. It's. Uh, it just has to be good. Yeah. So side A is one word, and it says buttram. <laughs> and then side B says, um, and I don't know the last word here. Um, I'll do my best. It says Scott to be prunkty, and I can only assume that's a reference to Scott Colby. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. This one's really setting me up for some future releases. Yeah, I mean, I like I like all of the uh, the early stuff. I have a I will always have a hard time with electronic drums and drum machines, except in some industrial stuff and like the uh, some of the Zoogs albums that kind of sound like that a little too drum machiney. Not a huge fan, but the earlier stuff they're even better than this record in my opinion. I'll, I'll take drum machines if it's obvious, you know? Oh, it's obvious, man. Yeah. It's like ultra rototom electronic drums, like craziness. I'm cool with it then. 
I mean, it's not something I want to hear all the time, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. All right. Ballot result? Let's do it. Ballot result. I'm going to let you pick, man, since this is your first Zoogs. Nice. Well, I liked the breather. I think I mentioned I liked your killing me, but I got to give it to Shiver Me Timbers. Oh, yeah? Because of the shredding? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. I figured so. Was it, uh, by the way, Brant, was the shredding a little Gin-esque? No, no. No, it wasn't. It was not <laughs> Gin-esque. <laughs> but Zoogs', oh. Zoog's is, was Frank-esque. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, I mean, I actually... I actually listened to like Zappa for I don't know it felt like 15 years solid and I haven't listened to it a ton for a while since I got that um, like that six disc Roxy box set yeah and this got me like I'm gonna dive back into some of my favorite Zappa records they uh they need a re-listen yeah I can't listen to Zappa all the time but I I like a fair amount of his you know the classic stuff and from the seventies and some of the jazz fusion stuff I like too. So right on Ryan, what's next week? Yet another first, the always August record black pyramid, which I'm really interested to get into. I have never heard it before. You have to ask me next week, Ryan, which album do you like better? Always August Zoog's rift paper bag or alternatives. (laughs) It might change. It might change. It might change. I, All right. The week and after Brand, that, the week after that, it definitely will not change, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. SST seventy nine is insanity. I've been waiting seventy nine episodes to get to that one. Let's let's get to it. Yeah. Oh, and Brent, we've also got a special guest next week. Yes, that's right. John Kiefer from the band Always August is going to be a guest on the podcast. Always great. Always August is another band where there's not much out there, so it's very cool to have someone on the show to lay it down for us. Yeah. And one more time, Ryan, big thanks to Craig Unkrich for coming on the podcast. Great dude. Definitely. I can think of no one else that I'm going to call Mr. California from now on. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.